everybody. This is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. Welcome to the Invested Podcast. It is December 13th, I think. Uh, you say that like everybody listens to this on the day it comes out. I know, they don't. <laughs> but this is our podcast 399. 399. That's amazing. That is amazing, honey, that we have been talking about investing. Each one of these is about a half an hour. I will say, That's Dad, we have to admit two. some of these numbers are vault episodes that we put up. Well, that's true. We so uniquely 280 or something. When we start saying like, oh, the amount of hours we've talked about, I feel like we have to include that in our uh, calculations. Uh, that this, uh, is, this is the lawyer in you. It is. is to be precise. Accuracy. Truth. That's, that's very good. Very good. It means important things. Um, so we we're talking last time. But what it is, is 399 right weeks of this podcast give or take a couple maybe we missed one or two um which is freaking crazy last time time you said you starting to really like the numbers or you really do like the numbers and that is that is a big change from the beginning of this like the confidence to be able to go into these numbers and and see reality versus you know, the fear and the greed that goes on. So maybe it's misplaced confidence because I haven't engaged with the numbers in quite a while at this point. <laughs> well, this is true. This is true. Maybe I, maybe my recollection has gotten rosy. <laughs> <laughs> Too rosy. Well, what do you say we jump back into the buckets here? But wait, so, I have because, I have oh, a comment a about that because I our, think that matters far actually. Enough off of our off of our normal focus for investing. I don't want to spend a lot more time on this. I agree with I that. I don't want anybody coming away from this thinking like, "Oh, hey, we've suddenly changed direction." I'll now go buy an ETF. Um no, not not what we're doing. No, but what I do quick quick note that this uh crappy illness that I've had has kept me from engaging with the numbers that's what I mean and what is cool is to actually have this experience right now telling you oh like I've I've fallen in love with the numbers a little bit because the knowledge and the experience that I have from the years that I was absolutely every day focused on my investing practice and this is what I told people for a long time, but I hadn't actually experienced it. It doesn't go away. Even with what's it been now, at least two years that I've been ill and been uh, you know, much more spotty with my investing practice, that knowledge and experience will never leave me and nobody can ever take it from me, ever. So now when I read the small amounts that I do read about companies, I I read it with the perspective of somebody who is is knowledgeable about the numbers, who understands what these reporters may be saying or not saying about them, who has some perspective on where the market is coming from, where um, CEOs are coming, just much more perspective. And that will never, ever, you know, I could never, we could stop having the podcast and I could never think about investing ever again and that perspective will stay with me and would help me with anything else I chose to do Um, and I think 
that for me is the reason to start an investing practice. If anybody's listening to this and uh, doesn't know if it's worth it, it's worth it in ways that I can't have anticipated or imagined. I'm thinking um, that you've been on very much a, a heroic heroic journey. Um, uh-huh. And the, the point of the, sort of the end result of, of a heroic journey and the sort of Joseph Campbell iconic way of thinking about it is that you come out a changed person. You come out with knowledge and tools that you didn't have going in and your perspectives have widened dramatically. Like the heroic journey is, is the, the, the person with a small perspective who becomes a person with a much, much larger perspective and then can bring that perspective out to their people and help their people become more successful, better survive, whatever the story is. Mm. And look at this, you know, here you are, here you are. Kind yeah, of the heroine in your own journey who has had this dramatically enlarged perspective when it comes to understanding investing. And what that means is it's a permanent change in you. You can't, you can't give it back. You've changed yeah, your perspective. I don't know if I agree with the heroine part of it, but definitely the <laughs> uh, holy, sh- holy crap. Uh, <laughs> life well, is different. Of Stay tuned crap. for invested number two, which is going to be focused on health and wealth. And yeah. dear God, how does one deal with those things? Uh, well, Anyway, and that's that's what can come at you. And I think really we're talking as we start moving toward 2023. I think we're looking at a very dangerous swirling mix of of geopolitical risk and and economies that are are, are peaking and shaky. Um, we have global health re- issues. We're in the midst of almost a a sub pandemic with RSV here or whatever they call it, RVS or whatever it is. Yeah. This and um, virus. the flu uh, is, is economic bad this conditions year. are crazy. I mean, it's really, we're looking at a really dangerous mix of things with the central banks trying to walk as one person put it across Niagara falls on a tightrope. Very, very easy to fall off in either direction. And, 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 very unlikely they'll get to the other side and put it like that. And the problem is that most investors out there are not in the least bit prepared for the kind of changes in, in political regimes, uh, in economic regimes, in f- the kind of changes inflation can bring, um, the kind of changes that the response to inflation can bring, which really literally could be as much as a, as a total um, you know, economic meltdown. And so, you know, in one response to that is to diversify across a lot of things that we started talking about in terms of these four buckets. Mm-hmm. And I think it is it is educational to kind of know how different kinds of companies perform in these different economic conditions. So if we're thinking about, hey, we're and about I think to go also really to know how weather. other investors may be thinking about this stuff. Yeah, yeah, um, true. Okay, so we ended... And maybe, and maybe also what you can do if you're not all the way prepared to... Yeah, I'm, I'm very confident now that I can pick 10 companies and I'm my, 
my economic, uh, I will have economic security the rest of my life because I know what I'm doing and I'm going to buy these 10 companies when I get a chance. You know, that's, that's the A game for sure. Mm-hmm. If you're not there, if you're still working toward being there, then maybe this kind of four bucket portfolio might be helpful. Well, let's find out because I'm, I'm definitely somebody who's on the way and is not there. Um, okay, so where we ended was four buckets. One. Right, four buckets. Inflate. So it's basically a quadrant for anybody who's mm-hmm. trying to update their notes like I was. Mm-hmm. Inflation and deflation on one side and economic growth and economic contraction on the um, perpendicular side. And yeah. then you get these four buckets, which are inflation with economic growth, inflation with economic uh, contraction, deflation with economic growth, deflation with economic contraction. And what you went through last time was a number of categories in which one could inv- could invest in a situation of inflation, be that economic growth or economic contraction. Is that true? Um, yeah. And then... We didn't we didn't talk about that exactly, so that's a question for this time. And then they're pretty, um, they're pretty close, pretty close. And then we talked a bit the about same. the deflation and economic contraction group. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned one thing for the inflation and economic. No, sorry, I don't know which section that goes in. The cash was for economic contraction. Home, you're smarter than I am. What's that? Trying to see us talk about a matrix like this is really hard. It helps to be. Well, that's why I made lists last time, but I was getting mixed up about which items were going in which of the four categories. So let's step back half a second here and take a look at where we've been for a decade, right? For a decade, the Federal Reserve has artificially lowered interest rates dramatically. And what that caused was an explosion in, from the perspective of efficient market theory, where all things are priced, all markets, all stocks are priced correctly in the market. From that perspective, when you lower the, the, the uh, no risk rate of return to 1%, which is effectively what the Federal Reserve did, 10-year T-bill being a, a risk-free return, got down to 1%. When you lower that to 1%, you have also lowered the effective rate of return you would need for risk assets, Hmm. right? Right. So if you say that a no risk asset is 1% and then I put a risk premium on risk assets, then you add that 1% to that, whatever that is, Mm -hmm. let's say 5%, you need extra 5% for a risk asset. So now you've got six. Well, if your T-bill is at 5% and you're adding 5, then you've got a requirement of 10% returns. Mm-hmm. Now, the way that efficient market theory works is you essentially are saying, okay, well, we've got this cash flow going out in the future and I want to buy it at a reasonable price today. So I am going to discount that cash flow by the risk rate uh, plus the, free, the risk-free rate and I will arrive at a number that makes sense to me today. So he's effectively saying, okay, I can project the cash flow of a company. I'm going to be getting $100 million in over a period of time. And I'm going to discount that year by year by year back to today. And there's software that does that nicely and easily. And you get 
a number that you can pay for this thing. That's well, if you discounted need a cash flow analysis return, just for right. anybody keeping track. If, if you need a 10% return every year to make sense of investing in a risk asset, you have to pay quite a lot less for that risk asset than if you need a 6% return yeah. every year. Yeah. You almost would pay half as much Right. I mean, you you need to buy it for half as less. You need to get a better deal because you get a much better. You have to accomplish that level of higher return. Right on. So think about what happens to the stock market with most of the market being managed by efficient market theory. That's what most of the funds use. Then you were at a ten percent return, and then you went to a six percent return. And what that did is let you pay twice as much for stocks as you were paying before. That makes sense? Yeah, words, I'm not so in, sure in efficient 19... market hypothesis has a lot to do with that, but okay, sure. Oh, well, it has quite a lot to do with it because otherwise, how would you know what to pay for a risk asset? You have to assume that oh. the risk asset is priced properly, <laughs> which is a bad assumption in the stock market, but let's just assume. So effectively what happens is the, the people who are buying stocks now have a free ride to increase what they're paying for them because they can say, oh, this is now worth more, so let's bid it up, right? The efficient market theory would say, oh, okay, now you're gonna bid it up because now it's worth more. It's worth more, why? Because the, the risk-free rate is so low. And so indeed, that's what happened the market has gone massively higher than ever before on the back of this low interest rate. So that is effectively a kind of, of uh, deflation of the, of the, the is, this, is this the right word? It's the inflation of the stock market, no question about that. But it's a deflation of the bond rate. In other words, you're getting lower and lower interest rates. Those are going down. You're looking like, uh, rolling your eyeballs. I'm not rolling my eyeballs. A little bit. Well, a little bit. Okay, starting off. All right. Point being, we've been through a time period where inflation didn't exist, right? It was, they were trying to get inflation up. Yes. To 2%. So we're effectively in a deflationary period with, with interest rates going down like a brick. So economic growth was was effectively starting to pick up and pick up and pick up and pick up as they as they kept treating the patient for this problem um, we ended up with significant economic growth in a fundamentally deflationary environment okay yeah mm -hmm. all right mm -hmm. stocks are fantastic in that area fabulous bonds okay okay wait a fabulous. second fabulous let's go back to my lists okay <laughs> so we're going we're going Economic growth with deflation. Okay. Economic growth. That's the bucket. And deflation. Yep. That's where we were from like 2010 till 2020 is economic growth with deflation. And in that time period, bonds were spectacular and the stocks were spectacular. Okay. Gold nowhere gold nowhere energy down like crazy consumer staples getting murdered out there 
right? Remember Buffett with craft and all that kind of stuff. So very different kind of environment. So when you're, when you're looking to invest with that sort of thing, then stocks and bonds are really, really good. Long bonds, long stocks did very, very well. Now, we have moved from that into an inflationary economic contraction. Yes, okay. So now the economy is starting to contract. We've probably been in a recession for a couple of quarters. And we are experiencing higher inflation. Now, maybe they're getting it under control. But certainly for the last year, major inflation and an economic contraction together. In that environment, then you're looking at REITs, gold, commodities, energy, consumer staples, cash. We talked about those last time. Ah, okay. So that list that you gave last time was specifically inflation in economic contraction, correct? Yeah. Kind of ah, where we are now. Okay. So where we were. So I'm going to read that list for anybody who needs to move that into their notes. So that's what you just said. Real estate, REITs, gold, yep. commodities, um, and you said an ETF called DBC, mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> energy and consumer staples. Yep. And those are all, and then stocks, no. So stocks have not done well in the last year. And, um, and so this is, yeah. So we've got energy exploding. We've got commodities exploding. Gold hasn't done much R real estate continued to, to roll right until just recently. And uh, consumer staples up. Cash has been good um, because the dollar is improving. So right on the money for that. So those are those are two two of the uh, the major buckets. Okay, one wait, 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 wait. Question. Another thing now. another thing you said under the economic contraction section is cash. Mm -hmm. And you just mentioned cash again but you mm -hmm. did not specify inflation or deflation. That's, uh, we got inflation with that. Inflation, okay. Yeah, inflation. Inflation and economic contraction. Right? Fab, okay. So right. the only thing that I have nothing, the only section I have nothing in is inflation with economic growth. Inflation with economic growth is um, what we're hoping to get, it's, it's, it's been really, that's kind of the it's unicorn like, of economic situations, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. We kind of want Does that happen? to eat it too. <laughs> um, whenever we've had inflation for any real period of time, everything goes to totally to, to pot. Yeah. Yeah. Inflation's brutal. And that's, but this is why the Federal Reserve is targeting 2% inflation. This is what they want. Their nirvana is 2% inflation with economic growth. So essentially it's like inflation to, in the literal sense, but not to the point where everybody talks about it like it's inflation and it's right. ruining their lives. Right. And in that environment, stocks are great. Ooh, another vote for stocks. Mm-hmm. Real estate is great. Real estate. So stocks, real estate in that environment, really, really good. All right, sweet. 
And then, of course, when you get to the real bad one, which is deflation and economic contraction, that aims you down toward depression. So that's a recession and it can roll into depression. And this is the one where people are typically not very well prepared for this. So in a deflationary economic contraction, currency should be like the dollar should buy more. That's the whole idea. The well, when you're yeah. def if when you're, you're deflating prices, your dollar's buying more. And this, but of course, when you take this to the depression level, you know people don't have dollars. That's the problem. They're out of work. Right. You know, you'll have twenty percent unemployment. Um, in that environment, you'll have a lot of fear, and that's where gold is really strong. Gold, silver. Um, Typically, if you're having um, deflation, you're going to see the Federal Reserve lower interest rates. That's where bonds could become strong. So you have gold, silver, bonds. And then if you have stocks to spread out your risk a bit, you'll want, again, to be coming back into these consumer staples, things like um like XLP would be an ETF with consumer staples. If you want to own individual stocks, it'd be something like Walmart, Clorox, uh, Coke. Again, the stuff you have to buy with the exception of Coke. Exactly. And then also you want to be in an industry that will perform because it, it's being paid to do so by the government. That would be healthcare. Mm. And you'll see healthcare issues rise as people come out of work. Um, they don't, they're not as able to take care of themselves. You'll have people driving, you know, worse and worse automobiles. You'll have more accidents. You'll have all of those kinds of things impact the healthcare industry. And then again, you're looking at a, like an IYH kind of an ETF. That's an interesting point though. Anything with, um, government money behind it. So other things with government contracts you could think of. Um, I mean, like defense weapons, that's an obvious exactly. one. I know a lot of people have issues with owning those kinds of companies, but just important to put it out there. And um, I think other ones would be transportation related, the kind of thing where the country has to work, it has to operate. So um, yeah, and it, it, it may be that infrastructure projects, which are I, I've tried to invest in, in government spending on infrastructure projects in the past. It's been rife with issues. Hmm. I, I, it's really hard to rely on the government except for things like boats. I mean, they're going to they're going to build navies and they're going to make ammo and they're going to make rockets. And, and the reason for that is when you get into a deflationary economic contraction it, in America, it means it's probably worldwide. And that means quite a lot of discontent. Uh, among the poorer people and they rise up in those environments. That's when you have revolutions. That's when uh, you have wars that, that get going. So that side of things becomes, you become very defensive. And so again, in that environment, you're looking at cash, gold, bonds, um, consumer staples, healthcare, defense, defense related stocks um, and looking at ETFs that do those. So, that's kind and of maybe the four um, even pharma. That could be, I don't yeah. know. That could Nothing be interesting. wrong with Merck it, it, and Here's Pfizer what I find really interesting about this is you said it doesn't really relate to uh, us, but 
everything relates because this is fascinating from the perspective of an individual company investor. How do I prepare for this? Any, not this, any downturn. Um, what are the kinds of companies that are going to have to continue operating um, or that people are going to have to continue buying from? And how can I get in on those if there's well, something let's, let's that I support? Lesson, let's take a lesson from our best teacher ever, and that's Warren Buffett, who was asked about buying gold in this kind of an environment. And he said, well, you and we've talked about this before, but <clears throat> all the gold in the world fits into a cube about 60 feet high, <laughs> 60 yeah. feet wide, all the gold in the world. And Buffett said, you can go up and hug it and kiss it. And you can't do anything with it. It doesn't pay you any cash flow. There's, it's like just a lump of gold, all the gold in the world. Or you take that same amount of money and you buy 18 Exxons, 18 Exxons, and all of the farmland in America. Mm -hmm. So his basic subtle, almost not even between the lines message is in the environment where you would want gold, what you should prefer is to own companies that produce energy, which is required, mm -hmm. and own companies which produce food, which is required. And if you look back at the Depression, both of those kinds of industries did very, very well. The food industry did good because if you own food and you buy it at the right price, then it's a necessity that people are going to get. And because the economy is in the in the toilet and because people are going to be very upset with each other and nations will go to war, energy is going to be very valuable because that's the critical resource for war. And so Buffett already laid it out there pretty clearly. If, and, and look at what he's done in his portfolio, right? He's bought Occidental. Yeah. Uh, and he's bought Chevron. Um, he's not adding more to banks, not adding more to financial stuff. He's not adding more on Apple. He's just adding on oil and gas. And so, and, and Buffett's not, uh, you know, some old school, we're only going to do oil and gas kind of investing. God, not one of the at all. Wind machine companies in the world. And, uh, and is out for producing energy and, and, um, you know, oil pipelines and energy transfer, all of that is going to be valuable in the future. So if you're interested in investing on individual companies, what Danielle is saying is exactly right. This is very influential in my thinking as we go forward. I'm looking for what we would call and what we've discussed here as an anti-fragile company. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we have our list of what we, th we think we would want to own. And if we were better friends with you guys, we might tell you what the list is, but we're not. I'm just kidding. Danielle's <laughs> got this look on her face like, why would you say that? <laughs> well, here's, here's why we don't just tell you what we're interested in buying is because I want to buy it cheap. And That was like the skeeziest thing I've ever heard you say. <laughs> it's, it's terrible. It's entirely possible that, you know, if we talk about it here on the podcast, you guys could bid it up. Um, and we don't want it bid up. We want it bid down. So even if we own some of it, and you guys know just from us, talking about it we own some of these companies we've talked about here on the podcast i'd like to see and by we you like mean you not we me. you yeah true me the royal we um i would love to see those go down like a brick 
and and that is really something we can talk about next time again is why if you own companies you would ever want to see them go down in price everybody knows that okay we've talked about that so many times but that was such a clever intro to the next (laughs) you just blew it up without even any concern (laughs) for my my ego my feelings i did i did i'm sorry blew it up Tell okay. me about what your feelings. What are we feelings? talking about next time? Then? <laughs> well, this... I have an idea. Oh, good. What? It's our 400th episode. So I think we should talk about. Oh, How now about... you're making this up. You're making I'm this up. I'm completely making it up because I totally shut you down and I feel bad about Danielle it. Danielle so has here's... this look on her face like, uh oh, I now have to come up with something. Well, because I've been trying to think what we should do for our 400th episode for like a month now and I have no brilliant idea but here's one thing you could do if that's your favorite thing that you know about out of this podcast then you should talk about why we like companies to go down in price and I could talk about my favorite thing that I've gotten (laughs) out of this podcast and we could open it up for some questions you guys, if you want to shoot questions out to us, what's the I don't know if we're going to get the, the right timing address? for questions, but we could try. That's all right. Um, Let's see. Maybe you're right. Questions at investedpodcast.com. There you go. We suck at planning things and we never know what we're going to talk about. So you can see in real time how we never know what we're going to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> right on. All right, let's let these guys off the hook. We're just blathering right now. Yeah, that's and true. And we will talk I was to you gonna, guys I was going to repeat the, the sections for anybody who's writing it uh-huh. down. So let me do that quickly because I feel like rewinding to try to find it is irritating. So, okay, guys, here it is. Quickly, rewind this part if you need to. Inflation and economic growth, stocks and real estate deflation and economic growth, stocks, inflation and economic contraction, real estate, gold, commodities, energy, consumer staples, cash, deflation and economic contraction, treasury bonds, healthcare. If we get into really bad situation, maybe gold, uh, maybe bonds, and then think about in stocks, stuff that people have to buy like consumer staples, healthcare, and government contracts. Is that about Pretty right? Good. I'll buy that. All yeah. right. So we get you guys in the ballpark of, of these four buckets that Dalio talks about. And those will produce a mediocre rate of return in all markets. So that's actually quite good. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk next time about how to get a great return in all markets and uh, dive back into what we do best here. And Until why then. we love it when stock prices go down. Exactly. I'm going to start with that next time. <laughs> Until then, time to go play. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye. Hi, guys. Thanks for listening to Invested. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more information or to listen to additional episodes, visit our website at investedpodcast.com and sign up for my virtual workshop right there. Spots are definitely limited for this event. I'm not kidding. They really are. They sell out very quickly. So everything discussed on this podcast, by the way, is either my opinion or it's Danielle's opinion. And it's really important. It's not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your financial advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. 
So remember that. You're on your own here. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I really hope you enjoyed it.